You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. for tuning in to episode 530 of the Nick Luck Daily podcast. It's Charlotte Greenway in for Nick once again and it's Tuesday the 19th of July. Breaking news from the Racing Post as I record this is that Andrea Etzani will replace Frankie Dettori aboard Stradivarius in the Goodwood Cup next week. And talking of jockey bookings, we'd all been speculating who would ride Mishrif this weekend in the King George after David Egan and Prince Faisal's split. And this morning, the Racing Post confirmed that James Doyle will be entrusted with the ride aboard the Multiple Group 1 winner. And James joins me now. James, this horse's CV speaks for itself. How exciting is it to pick up a ride like this? Oh, he's, um, you know, I couldn't be more thankful to the connections for putting their trust in, in me, um, choosing me to ride him. I mean, he's an incredible horse, hasn't he? What he's achieved um, on his record is just absolutely outstanding. And I thought his run in the Eclipse showed he, he's he's still right at, at, at the top of his game. And have you had a chance to sit on him at home this week? I'm actually going into Mr Gosden's tomorrow morning to, to pop on him. So obviously haven't ridden him before, but seen a fair bit of him, and um, yeah, it'll be nice to nice to jump on board before before Saturday. I'm sure you've watched plenty of his replays. He looks like he's a horse that's learnt to relax a lot more now than his earlier days. He looks a little bit of an easier ride than he used to be. Yes, I would probably agree with that. Yes, um, he he's he seems like a very smooth horse, doesn't he? Through his races, he he travels um, into his races really well, and I thought obviously he was a a shade unlucky on in the eclipse, but um, it was an incredible run, really, to to sort of um, get stopped the way he did, and then when he got out, he, he really balanced up and hit the line hard. So, but he looks quite, yeah, like I, I would agree with that. He looks quite straightforward now, doesn't he? he probably used to take quite quite a strong hold um, in his younger years, but um, with experience, he certainly look looks more relaxed. And with regards to trip, it's a stiff mile and a half at Ascot. Do you think you'll be holding on to him as long as possible to try and stretch out his stamina, or do you think that won't be a problem? Um, well, look, he's run, he's run, you know, decent races at a mile and a half before, hasn't he? Obviously, um, won the Shima Classic in in Dubai over um, the mile and a half. Um, he ran second to Adiar, obviously in last year's. King George, so I don't, I don't think, I, I don't see the, the sort of trip being too much of a, of a problem, and I think um, obviously we'll have to see which, which, only a small select field, so we'll see which ones hold their ground. But I guess um, the pace angling there would probably be uh, Brome. I would think um, he went searching pace at, um, at Ascot in the Hardwick. So um, yeah, I think it, it should be quite straightforward. And there's only six runners, but, I mean, it's a seriously hot affair. The only one that hasn't won a Group 1, of course, is Emily Upjohn, who was very unlucky in the Oaks. What do you make of the opposition? Yeah, like you say, small select field. The two three-year-olds, um, Westover, was incredible in in, in in Ireland in the Irish Derby. That was a really dominant win, wasn't it? And obviously we have to give them a fair fair amount of weight. And Emily Upjohn's run in the Oaks was pretty... Pretty solid, wasn't it? Um, 
So yeah, small select field, and you got the the arc winner is like fourteen to one. You got pile drivers twenty to one. It's it just shows the the sort of strength and depth to the small but select field. And heading to Ascot this weekend, as is there anything else that you're particularly looking forward to? Um, not uh, yeah, obviously that that's the that's the main one we're we're looking forward to. But um, yeah, we're still c- c- kind of um, it's early days, obviously with the grounds pretty quick everywhere. So. We're just trying to sort of get get a few together as we speak. Perfect. James, well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat to me this morning and best of luck this weekend. Thank you very much. Thank you all. Lee Mottishead of the Racing Post joins me this morning. And Lee, we've just heard James Doyle there talking about the ride on Mishrift that he's picked up this weekend. Do you think that was a pretty straightforward decision for the owner and John Golston? I think... Um, if there had been betting Shagala on who would ride Mishriff, I suspect James Doyle would have been a pretty warm favourite. He has been a go-to man uh, for the Gosdens uh, for some time now, um, when Frankie wasn't available or uh, when Frankie wasn't in favour. Um, they, they've liked to use James Doyle. He's had a fantastic season. Obviously, that Guineas double at Newmarket. Um, early in the turf season was a, was a highlight of it so far, but he's maintained momentum with a uh, the big group one at Royal Ascot, and he's he's a jockey who um, is exceptionally dependable in the big races. Um, he's just really solid. He doesn't make mistakes, and he is. Um, I thought he was the obvious guy for Mishriff, and I don't think anybody who fancies Mishriff for the King George will be in any way disappointed with the news. Um, what, do you, what do you make of Mishriff's chances? We've seen him over a mile and a quarter and he's got the amazing turn of foot, but do you think he really stays a mile and a half, especially somewhere somewhere like Ascot? Well, I think stamina is a, is a, is a relative thing. Um, I, I would argue that he, he does stay a mile and a half in that he's won a, he's won a Dubai Shima Classic at Maidan over a mile and a half. He's finished second to Adiar in a King George, but I suspect he's just a better horse over a mile and a quarter in a true run mile and a quarter race. Um, but, 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 you know, having said that, he, he, his ratings over a mile and a half aren't bad at all. And racing post ratings, he ran to 124 when he was second to, to Adiar in the King George. Um, that's not his PB. He ran to 128 in the Judmont International that day when he won by six lengths in August last year. But I don't think anybody who saw him win that race by six lengths powering home up the Navesmire would say that he would not have been a decisive winner over a mile and a half as well. So I think the distance for me isn't a huge concern. I think maybe he was slightly worried out of it by by Adair last year, but I, but I'm not necessarily certain this is a, a better race uh, this year in terms of the opposition he's facing. I think you can raise questions about what Westover and Emily Upjohn have actually achieved uh, on the track and Mishri's last run in the Coral Eclipse was was hugely encouraging. You could argue he was unlucky not to win that race. What we don't know, of course, is whether if he had won that race, whether David Egan would still be on on the horse. He was, of course, the owner's retained jockey. He has parted company with the owner since then. Hence, why James Doyle takes the ride. John Gosden was very supportive of David Egan that day. We don't know that race and that ride was a factor in departing of the waves. But I thought it was a really encouraging run from Mishriff. And for me, although he is third in the betting behind Westover and Emily Upjohn, I think you can make a, a pretty strong argument to say that he is perhaps the, the horse to beat and, and arguably the best horse in the race. 
Yeah, you mentioned Westover's form there. I mean, Piswadil, he was beaten seven lengths, wasn't he, by Westover? And he was beaten seven lengths, finishing last in France last week. It's, it's got to be a worry, hasn't it? Yeah, I think... There's no doubt that Westover is an exceptionally high-class three-year-old court, and he might well go and power to a five-length victory in the King George on Saturday. But if you if you want to back Westover for the King George at the moment, you're being asked to take five to four, eleven to ten, eleven to eight, which is which is a short price when he's up against not only Emily Upjohn but also the horse who was a wide margin winner of the Jumbo International last year, and the horse who won last season's Prix de l'Arc de Triomphe. I just think he's probably He's too short a price for me. Um, I know that um, the, 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 the camp are not too concerned at all about the ground from what, from what the, the, the owner's representative was saying yesterday to you on, on the pod. But I, I'd argue with both Westover and Torquato Tasso, there would be something of a question mark about the ground. Not that necessarily that they wouldn't go on the ground, but they might be better on a on an easier surface. I know after Westover worked at Epsom, uh, at the event that used to be called Breakfast with the Stars before this year's Derby, I think it was suggested that he would be happier on an easier surface going into the Derby than the one we actually actually got now. To an extent, that's maybe because it's Epsom and you're racing downhill for a long way. And the ground was was good at, at the Curragh when he won the Irish Derby, but it, it, it's almost certain to be fast ground. On Saturday, Ascot will will ensure it's a it's a fair racing surface, but it would be very surprising. Actually, it would be very worrying in terms of the, the current weather if it wasn't the quickest surface that Westover has ever raced on. And I think that is a question mark for him. Not necessarily that he won't go on it, but he won't be as effective on it as he has been on slightly easier ground. And that that applies to to Torquato Tasso, whereas we know that Mishriff should be grand on the ground. The King George is the sort of top mile and a half race in the in Britain are we disappointed that there's only six entries I th- it's always disappointing when you see the King George having that size of uh, of entry because you, you you go back in your head certainly if you're old as I am Charlotte you go back in your head to King George's it would regularly have 10 11 12 13 runners um, and it was always a race that was packed deep with with quality, but also to an extent quantity as well. Now things have have changed, and it has become an annual debate about the the health of the of the King George. Um, and we have become worried about where it stands relative to other major middle distance races in the European calendar. But actually, I think in recent years, if you look at the the the, the, the last few King Georges that we've had, if you take out the the oddity of the three runner King George that enable one in in 2020, we've actually had some absolutely top-notch King Georges in which we had, we might not have had, had huge fields, the last two runs have had five and, and six runners, but we've had some really absorbing contests. Crucially, we've also had contests in which, compared to some recent years, we've had meaningful three-year-old representation as well. We have had that clark, uh, that clash of the, the generations. We had the Derby winner, win the race last year, which was great for the King George. And I, I would argue that compared to four or five years ago, when we really were worried about the King George, the race had actually had a bit of a revival in recent seasons, which is great to see. And I would concur with what Nick Smith from Ascot was saying in the Racing Post this morning, in which he questioned, well, which horses are not in there that you would like to be in there? If Desert Crown hadn't suffered a setback, we would again have the Derby winner 
in the King George. For the second consecutive year, we might be looking at a King George winner uh, having won the Derby as well. And that would have been marvellous for the race as well. The, the Coronation Cup winner, Hookham, is also sidelined. So I'm not sure there are many horses that you would expect to see in there. The Denny, the Eclipse winner, the, the connections have been pretty adamant. They seem as a mile and a quarter horse, so he wouldn't be one for the King George. What we have got in the absence of a sideline derby winner, we've got the horse who won the Irish derby by a huge margin. We've got the filly who many feel was unlucky not to win the Oaks. We've got the, the wide margin winner of last year's Jeff International. And we've got the pre the Triumph winner, which is a fantastic thing for the King George. Plus Brumer, uh, a decisive winner of the, the Hardwick Stakes and Pile Driver, who's a very solid horse at Group 1 level. So for me, although we haven't got a, a double-figure feel, we're not going to have bet, each way betting to to three places. I think it's a cracking King George and it's what I'm looking forward to with Radish. And just while we're talking about field sizes, there was obviously the boycott at Newbury by the trainers last week and there seems to have been a bit of a reaction from the race course. There has been a bit of a reaction from the race course and um, one could argue again about time too. They, 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 they upped the prize money of the the race at Newbury on, on Saturday that didn't actually take place because no horses were left in the race. They got that one by £1,200. Well, their card at, at, uh, at Newbury tomorrow evening is a, a pretty mundane affair. Five of the contests are Class 5 handicapped. Now, every race course stage is pretty mundane uh, mundane affairs. It's, you know, it's not... This, this isn't the sort of card you'd expect to say... And ask it, but 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 there are all York indeed, but there are group great great one tracks that stage meetings with with lots of low level races. This is one of those at Newbury, but the prize money for those low level class five races initially was pretty embarrassing. If you looked at the the comparison with other tracks racing on the same day, initially those five class fives were set to be run for six thousand three hundred pounds. Um, if you compared those to, say, Yarmouth, well, Newbury's Class 5 are set to be worth less than Yarmouth's Class 6. Um, they are still worth less than Yarmouth's Class 5, which is run at £9,000. Doncaster's Class 5 on Thursday is also worth £9,000 compared to Newbury's now elevated £8,500. Um, we should say that Sandown's Class 5 is worth £8,000, so actually less than the Newbury's £8,500 class five. So Newbury's, Newbury's put in a total of £11,000 extra into those five races. That is to be welcomed. It's been rewarded with better field sizes than might well have been the case. Those class fives have got fields of 12, 6, 6, 8 and 7. Now, you know, 6, 6, 8 and 7 is not great at all for, for handicaps at that level, but, but they're better than they might have been had the races been worth... £6,300. So we are currently in the middle of the Skybet Go Racing in Yorkshire Summer Festival and I'm joined by Go Racing in Yorkshire's General Manager Charlotte Russell. Charlotte, just give us a bit of background on this festival and why it was created. Uh, so, uh, morning, Charlotte. This was this festival was created. It's in its fourteenth year now, and it was a week where all the Yorkshire courses at the, at the time, all the flat courses, um, all raced during that week. So we thought, well, let's you know package it together, put it into a festival, um, and it's gone from strength to strength. Really, there's um, it, it is different to other race days. It's a great opportunity for race goers to get around 
uh, Yorkshire's or eight of Yorkshire's nine courses and see see the differences. They are all so so different, but they're they're so um, great and sort of brought together by the geography of Yorkshire. Um, and so they just have the opportunity to have a uh, have a look round. And there's a real there's a real sort of family friendly festival atmosphere during the week. And I take it that you've got lots of activities going on at each of these fixtures that sort of appeal to various members of the public and different ages. Absolutely. It's it's a, a racing week where um, we, we've got every kind of racing. You know, we, we've we've got the uh, we've got music nights, we've got family days, we've got evening racing, we've got, um, uh, uh, you know, really high quality races. We've just got everything uh, during the week and um, we've got um, activities running all week to, to link it together. So before racing starts, we start with a, the Paddock and Chips competition, which is sponsored by Skybet. It's for the jockeys and they come out and uh, they're attempting to score points. Um, and then the person with the most points at the end of the week will uh, win an overnight stay at, at Goldsborough Hall. Uh, Goldsborough Hall also sponsor our leading trainer competition. And um, then we've got the Skybet leading jockey of the week as well. And we also do a yard for the a competition for the best turned out yard. So the yard that wins the most best turned out uh, awards in the Skybet sponsored races wins a thousand pounds to share between the staff and a pizza party. Um, so th- there's there's plenty of action going on and lots to play for. And Charlotte, I hear there is a theme for the week. Yes, our theme this week is um, the origin of the thoroughbred, which is um, incredibly closely related to Yorkshire. The founding stallions, two of them actually resided in the county, the the Dali Arabian and the Bailey Turk. And the Godolphin Arabian, the owner of of him, had very close family connections to the area. So, um, you know, Yorkshire is really sort of the, 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 the birthplace of the modern day thoroughbred. And so we're looking at that during the week. Um, and I know there have been people on the show recently talking about breeding programmes and genetics. Um, and the majority of, of the modern day thoroughbred um, all follows the bloodline of the Dali Arabian. But we did have on Saturday night at Doncaster, Sounds of Iona, uh, trained by uh, Jim Goldie, one and uh, she is from the Bailey Turk line so it'd be nice I think we, we may have a couple of other runners this week from from the Bailey Turk and the Godolphin Arabian line but they're um they're much smaller in number so it's, it's nice to be able to follow those and so this weekend it started on Saturday at Ripon we had Doncaster in the evening red car on Sunday who who's topping those charts at the moment who's leading the way <laughs> So in terms of the leading trainer competition, Tim Easterby is in front in, with that. The leading jockey uh, is going the way of Duran Fentiman at the moment. He had um, a magnificent treble at, at Ripon on Saturday, winning the last three races, and went straight on and won the first at uh, Redcar on Sunday. So he's he's doing really well in that competition. Um, Billy Garrity's in second on on two wins. Um, and in the yard competition, currently Richard Fahey has got, he's won two, his yard have won two best turned outs. So, um, and in the football, that's a tie between Rowan Scott and Duran Fentiman. So, um, so they're both in the lead on that uh, with Oshin McSweeney, Cam Hardy and Jack Garrity, um, the only other ones to have scored points so far. But, you know, we've got Catterick tomorrow, so I'm sure they'll all be there to uh, try, and, try and score some more points as they can as the week goes on. Yeah, exactly. You mentioned Catterick tomorrow. Sadly, lost Beverly yesterday due to the weather, yeah. but... Temperatures are looking to relent. So are you hoping for quite a good crowd tomorrow? 
Yes, um, we're looking. We're looking for a, a good crowd. Um, usually, we're not quite uh, up in, in Yorkshire. We're not quite in the school summer holidays yet. So, um, Catrick always does really well with the, with the family. So, um, it'll, it'll be a bit quieter, but um, a really nice day for people to come along. Then, of course, we've got the evening meeting at Doncaster on Thursday. So that's great to get along after work. Uh, we've got a double header on Friday with Thirsk, and I know they've got lots of um, entertainment on for the children. Um, and then York in the evening, York on Saturday, and then Pontefract on Sunday. And for anybody that'd like to come along to one of these fixtures, or all of them, um, can they purchase tickets on the gate, or is, do they need to do this online beforehand? Uh, so um, it obviously it depends on the on the on the enclosure that that you want to be in. Um, with most of the courses, booking in advance uh, will give you a bit of a discount. So the best thing to do is either go to our website, goracing.co.uk, and find out the summer festival information there, or visit the individual race course websites, and you'll get the ticket pricing and information on those. Perfect. Well, Charlotte, thank you so much for chatting to me this morning. And we look forward to hearing from you again on Friday with a bit more of an update. Perfect. Look forward to talking to you then. Having spoken about the whip rules a lot last week, and actually Dave Yates raised some of the issues that disqualification might bring. This has recently been brought in in the US and this weekend brought about some confusion, as Pat Cummings explained to Tom Stanley. Well, the the old saying, Tom, that... uh... You still need to crack a few eggs to make an omelet is absolutely true. And I think we had our first real incident of cracked eggs in uh, in the fourth race at Belterra Park, which is in Cincinnati, Ohio, on July 13th last week. The fourth race, um, just a small field of five horses, only four betting interests in the race. There was a coupled entry. And the stewards disqualified the second-place finisher and reading directly from the uh, the chart of the race, the horse was disqualified from second and placed last for excessive use of the whip during the course of the stretch run. And once this information started trickling out, not everyone was betting the fourth race at Belterra hmm. on July 13th, I can assure you, Tom. But uh, there was $20,000 or so staked on that race individually through win, play, show, exact, or trifecta bets. This did not affect the winner of the race. Um, but everyone said, wait a second, this this seems like new information that the winner was being, or that, that a, a horse was being demoted out of the placings as a result of this. Um, no, that was outside of everyone's expectations. And after a good so 10, 12, 15 hours of uh, fretting, the Horse Racing Integrity and Safety Authority did come out and, and basically blamed this on what they called growing pains and said, and I'm quoting from their statement, to be clear, violation of the crop rule does not affect the order of finish or paramutual wagering. It only affects purse earnings and or jockey suspension after the fact. So they did, in fact, uh, claim it to, to basically be a confusion that was sorted out with further follow-up with the Ohio stewards that were overseeing the race. There had been plenty of training, but uh, you know, not everyone pays attention, I suppose, Tom. And this was an example. And, and the uh, well-intentioned uh, punters in the fourth race at Belterra on July 13th did pay the price. And while I could be full-throated in my opposition about what a, you know, what, what a 
horrendous thing this was, a horrendous occurrence, it may actually prove to be a lesson well learned down the road for all of the stewards involved and in getting things straightened out. So, yeah. um, at least a very unfortunate incident, <laughs> but uh, I think I think the right uh, uh, the right path forward is there. I suppose in some ways, at least it didn't happen on a much bigger stage, although maybe it wouldn't have. Um, it's quite a mistake to make, but it, it, it may be the first and hopefully the, the last example. I mean, that, that's not been the only disqualification, right? Some disqualifications have have happened and, and been exacted in the correct way with the purse money being taken away, but the horse's finishing position un, unchanged and, and any wagering on the parimutuel unchanged. Correct. Everything stayed the same. And, and there was a bit of a back and forth certainly from various racing stakeholders and, and one of the things I think that came up quite clearly is if you're going to disqualify a horse from the paramutual payouts um, the quickest way to fix a race is to merely go over the limit uh, and ensure you're not going to end up in placings um, and, and I don't think a whole lot of people have thought about that but it's certainly from a, from a wagering standpoint I think it has to come into the realm of the consideration but um, uh, yeah the, the they, they have taken this action without uh, any effect to betting in other races. Um, but I think everyone's learning their lessons now, getting it out of the way. Unfortunately, it hasn't happened on a really prime stage. Yeah, growing pains. We, we've got what's being termed as a, a bedding in period to look forward to in the UK. Um, so excellent stuff. All right, well, that's, that's cleared that up. Um, we should touch on the Haskell this weekend. What are the key talking points there, Pat? Yeah, uh, Bob Baffert back in a big grade one race here in America in the three-year-old division uh, in a race that historically, I'm not going to say he's been totally at his mercy, but he has nine wins in the Haskell Invitational at Monmouth dating back to his first in 2001 with Point Given. Um, this has been a, a kind of the, the, the real start of the second half of the season for these uh, sophomores racing here, and he will bring Tyba to the Haskell Invitational this weekend, where he is to face Jack Christopher, who was first in the Woody Stevens on Belmont Stakes Day, but is now stretching out to the mile and an eighth distance uh, for Chad Brown, his connections. The Florida Derby winner, White Barrio, is in here. He came back and did second in the Ohio Derby in the Somewhat disappointing fourth place finisher in the Belmont Stakes, We the People, is also a potential runner. It should be a very fascinating renewal of the Haskell, and um, maybe perhaps with a little bit more attention now that Bob Baffert is back, um, at least uh, in control of uh, Tyba. Pat, great stuff. Chat to you again soon, no doubt. Thanks, Tom. So, Lee, we've just heard about the uh, incident that took place last week in the States. What issues can you see there being with the implementation of disqualification in this country? Um, well, I'm actually quite relaxed about it, Charlotte. I, I was um, listening to, to Dave Yates on the pod yesterday and I thought he made some some excellent points. Um, but it's, it's one where I don't share the concerns of of Dave, whilst absolutely respecting the opinion that, that he and others who do have those concerns feel. Um, my take on it in, in general terms is that even if you put to one side the the perception uh, debate that always goes with, with WIP reforms, I think you can make a perfectly legitimate argument to say 
that if a jockey is using uh, his whip or her whip in a race, they are doing that because they they believe that each strike will help that horse to get to the winning post faster than would be the case if the whip wasn't used. And therefore, it seems to me that if a jockey uses their whip uh, significantly above the permitted threshold and in doing so defeats a jockey who hasn't done that and has kept within the rules, that jockey has broken the rules and materially improved their place as a result. So they think they must have done because they wouldn't have used the whip otherwise. And I think in those instances, you can draw parallels with, with issues of with issues of interference. You know, if a jockey uh, improves his or her place by barging their way through in a race, then th- th- they are liable to be disqualified and the owners and the trainers will rightly suffer as well. Um, I think you can draw absolutely the same parallel with 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 this the, the whip does disqualifications. Having said that, I would also take the view that, that Sir Mark Prescott has expressed in that I would be hugely surprised if jockeys now knowing that they would face disqualification for exceeding the permitted whip levels by a significant amount by four strikes, if they then still broke those rules. And if any jockey did that, knowing what would happen in those circumstances it would be a pretty lamentable error on their part um and therefore i would, I would, share, I would share the views of of sir mark prescott and also um pj mcdonald who uh when speaking on the on the pod last week was was very relaxed about disqualifications and didn't think they would be a factor It's Tuesday, so it's time for our weekly Weatherby segment. And this week we're featuring the owners of Eddie's Boy, Midland Park, who won Saturday's Weatherby's Super Sprint and their founder, Tim Palin, joined Tom Stanley first to reflect on Saturday. Yeah, we've probably had hundreds of entries in the race before and dozens of runners in the race before. And we've, we've always had it or we've wanted to have it on our CV, but never quite got there. We've been second and we've been third in, in the past um, in the past decade. But um, we are, we're thrilled to get the, our first our inaugural win, if you like, of Eddie's boy in the, in the Weatherby Super Sprint. And um, it's fantastic, this kind of race that um, is put on for the smaller owners like ourselves. And Weatherby's have supported it since, well, 30, 30 years nearly, isn't mm. it? I think it was about 1990. 93, they were they were sponsoring the race from and it's it's evolved and, and it's produced a lot of very good winners and we were we were thrilled to be one of the one of the better winners of it I think um, according to time form we're the best winner of the race since since Tiggy Wiggin and that's probably because he did it in a lovely time and he did it quite authoritatively in the end and and there were quite a few you know quite a few scalps in there um, that have been running well at Royal Ascot and alike so um, no it was a, it was a a brilliant day and you know 20 odd owners there lapping up the sun and lapping up the uh, the free champagne afterwards and hmm. it's what it's all about you know when you spend 45,000 on a on a horse like Eddie's boy to kind of double that in one hit and get 98,000 in prize money in uh, in the Weatherby Super Sprint that's that's fantastic and that's that's courtesy to the you know all the owners and the sponsors and we're very grateful for Weatherby for, for sponsoring the event now do, is it is it something that the type of race you mentioned there that you know you, Eddie's boy cost in the, the mid 40s thousand and does it fit well you know within your mantra at midland park racing the fact that you can win a lot of prize money with horses that hopefully didn't cost a you know too too big a sum 
Yeah, it fits perfectly well within within our mantra. Um, we tend to operate in that middle market, you know, kind of your, your forty to a hundred thousand. So um, we were delighted a couple of years ago when they raised the threshold from fifty thousand to sixty three. Just kind of moving with the times, which is which is great of Weatherby and Newbury to to do that. Um, so yes, probably half of our yearling purchases they would qualify for a race like this. And as I say, we've had lots and lots of entries in the past and a little bit of success, but we've never quite had our crowning glory. Um, but Eddie's boy soon put that straight. No, it fits, it fits us perfectly well. Lovely. What's Eddie's boy going to do next? Do you leave that up to Archie? Do you have a big say in it? We look, we love to get involved. That's that's part of you know that's part of the what we like to think the, the value that we add at Midland Park Racing is, is sitting down with trainers and using our experience and their experience of, of where you might go next. So yeah, we're we're always involved with race placements and declarations at five to tens and entries at ten to twelves and things. So we we love that side of things. Um, where will he go? I suppose it depends how he comes out of the race this week. You know, we'll probably have a, a little think back end of the week. The the automatic targets that spring to mind are the Mulcombe next week um, so entries would be back end of this week for that so if he's not quite recovered in time we might look to, to just elongate the, the, the rest pattern a wee bit through to something like the, the Rosie Stakes at um, at the York keyboard meeting and of course races like the Flying Childers they're on the, they're on the agenda um, he is in the Nunthorpe and you know if he, he it was an early close that we went in and he probably is probably five or ten pounds shy of being able to be super competitive in that kind of race so we will just probably lower our sights a wee bit he's probably a listed group three borderline group two kind of individual i mean you've had a good couple of days haven't you i, I was working on friday night when i congratulated the team on their treble it was four but you know <laughs> i lost count yeah. and then uh, and then you you went and capped it off with the you know the, the biggest um prize money on offer for juveniles on the saturday so uh, well done yeah, fantastic. We're having a great run of things at the minute. 2021 was our record year for winners. We had 109 winners and we're, we're already on 80 for, for this year with kind of only kind of five, five twelfths of the, of the year to go. We had a fantastic June, 17 wins in June, 12 wins already in, in July and Friday night. Like you say, that was a fantastic evening. Two winners at Hamilton, two winners at Pontefract. And we were, you know, we were thinking we'd probably use the ball, our lady look at that point, but um, she shone on us as well on, on Saturday afternoon in the Super Spin. So yeah, we were, we were delighted uh, with that. And we're looking forward to, to Goodwood already. It's just around the corner. You, go on, give me a quick rundown of, of what you know is going to run next week. If, yeah, if well, we've probably got, we've got half a dozen. Um, who are heading there um, Eddie's boy that we've spoken about if he goes anywhere it'll probably be 4D um, the Mulcombe and the Platinum Queen she was a super impressive winner the other day at, at York on the Naismar she, she ran in the Queen there and she, she'd won on debut prior to that she at the moment we we have got her lined up for the for, for the Mulcombe she was mightily impressive I think she won by about four lengths in a really fast time um, at York so she could go there or we could divert her to the Alice Keppel the conditions race the Phillies only race but we do have a little bit of a, a little bit of a bottleneck because we've got May Lansing for that race who was mm. second in the Queen Mary as you know and scope dirty after the, the Cherry Hinton after the Duchess of Cambridge so that probably explains why she didn't quite bring her A game to the table so she might be Alice Keppel bound although um, she has been on antibiotics since then it might just come at a little bit too, a little bit too soon, but we'll we'll see. And dear my friend, now he was he was entered for the um, superlative Mark Johnson horses, two from two, got a time form rating of ninety five and an official rating of, of ninety five. He'll probably go for the the vintage. We've had a good report on him this morning, so he'll probably head there. I think that's the Tuesday. The vintage, the vintage entries on um, on Wednesday. He, you know, he'd, he'd be. 
It'd probably be a single figures kind of chance. It'd probably be an eight, nine to one chance for the for the vintage. And he's won twice over seven. What he's won over seven furlongs last time out mightily impressive. And we've just actually very exciting news. Really, we just bought into um, a George Scott horse, horse called Coco Jack, who um, has won three races, and he he might well go for either the vintage at, uh, at Goodwood, or we might go for the nursery there, Benoit de la Sayette. He's penciled in if we do go for the, the nursery off a rating of 90. He has got an entry in the, the Wingfield, the Pat Edry at the, at the weekend, so we might just have to do a bit of bobbing and weaving with him. Honestly, I, I'm, I'm fascinated how, how you stay abreast of it all, and uh, and also, what's yeah. led to you buying into the the, the George Scott horse? Where you know, do, do you do that often? Is is that a, a slight change in tack? Well, there's a yes. We don't do it often. No, we probably probably learned our lesson um, a couple of months ago. Um, George offered us to, the opportunity to buy into Rocket Rodney before he won. He'd been second on debut at um, Nottingham, and he offered us before he won at Goodwood the opportunity to buy half in him. And we weren't able to kind of put things together in time for Goodwood. So uh, when he slouched up by four and a half lengths, we realised we'd missed that opportunity. And then um, what we agreed was that if ever an opportunity came up, like by an into Rocket Rodney came up again then we we would certainly listen and probably take a little bit more heat than we did the first time back and that's exactly what's happened with Coco Jack um, he said look there's, there's a syndicate there we're possibly going to sell the horse abroad um, but I'd like to keep the horse in the yard if they cash in 50% of their chips and you buy into 50% of him um, then it could be the best best outcome for everybody he gets to keep the horse they get to keep the horse yet they, they get some of their shekels back from their original investment we, this, this is for us this is all the fun and affair trying to get our owners to the top tracks to the Saturday races to the uh, festivals you know getting there is one thing and then you know, Eddie's boy is like the crowning glory when you actually manage to, to win the, the feature event of the day. But that's that's what we try and do. And we, we like to think that's what sets us apart from the, the other syndicates out there. That we, we try, we aspire to be on the Saturday on the Saturday stage and on the festival stage. But very often you get put in your place with mm. the, the huge battalions from Bally Toil and Godolphin at those festivals. But that's, you know, that's just our place in the in the food chain, if you like. Yeah, I mean, you've been doing this for, for a long time now. Have you, with the, with the increasing popularity of syndicates, the more that are out there, have you had to change or, or adapt the way you do it at all, or, or do you, have you sort of stuck to your guns over the years, Tim? Yeah, I think I think we've we've always. I remember when we very first started, or very first started trying to put syndicates together in the nineties. I was always trying to get away from buying other people's cast-offs, and I think that's what most syndicates were at the time, you know, a Hamdan cast-off or a Sheikh Mohammed cast-off and horses in training. We wanted to try and aspire to the Saturdays and festivals from the start, so we always tried to buy that slightly better quality individual. You know, we, we've we always tried to operate in that middle market, you know, back, back 10, 15, 20 years ago, middle market was probably 20 to 30, whereas now middle market is probably 40 to, to 100. So we've always tried to get in there. But, you know, make no, make no mistake, we're, we're still buying inexpensive horses. Clem Fandango, she was, I think it, she was like 10 or 11,000 euros. Um, Lily's Angel, she was 8,000 guineas. And these are kind of in the last decade. So we, deal, we still do buy um, horses that are in the tens and the 20,000s rather than sticking principally to the, to the middle market. We do try and, you know, we do try and, cut our cloth accordingly to, to, to whatever we, we, we would like to do, try and cater for everybody. You know, we were buying horses last week for 15,000, 3,000 um, and, and 8,000. So we, you know, we, we're still buying in that bracket. But no, we do try and set ourselves apart by operating in that middle market and trying to get to the Saturdays and the festivals. Um, it's going very well and long may it continue. Well done at the weekend. And um, yeah, hopefully you put us in toward a, a winner or two next week at Goodwood. Cheers, Tim.
Fingers crossed. Thank you. Lee, before I let you go, do you have a tip for us? I do. And Charlotte, I'm going to ask forgiveness in this first pod that I've done with you. Forgive me if I don't go with with today's racing. We've only got um, Musselburgh and Ballin Road. Not a huge amount to pick from. And as you will have detected from our earlier conversation, I'm extremely enthusiastic about Mishrif in the King George on Saturday, particularly now uh, that a top jockey uh, has been guaranteed to ride the horse. Not that David Egan wouldn't have been a top jockey had he still been on the horse. Uh, but I think Mishrif is the one to beat in the King George. And given that it's this point when we're talking, you can still get four to one. I think for me, that's a perfectly good bet. I will go with Mishrif in Saturday's Kitco back King George. Thank you very much, Lee, for your insight today. And thank you to the rest of my guests. Tom Stanley will be back with you in the morning. That was episode 530. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Thank you.